these are gifts from God, first of all, that perfect our powers. So whereas on our own, we could be pursuing virtue our whole life and maybe make some progress, in the end, Christian virtue is a gift from God through faith, hope, and charity that perfect. Welcome to Le Bon V, our JPG podcast in which we discuss the many ideas and traditions that help us to live the good life. I'm Deacon Adam Conk, and here's Kyle Alvarado. Hello, sir. Hello, good Deacon. So, the good life, the classical home, and at JPG, we, we talk a lot about virtue. We emphasize virtue quite a bit. And... We're going to be spending the rest of this episode talking about the good that comes from a contemplation of virtue. But are there some risks and maybe dangers in emphasizing virtue a little too much, maybe? I think so. And, you know, for the typical Catholic family in Acadiana area and the typical family of our school, virtue is not a new word. We use that word all the time, which is good. It's a good word to use. Um, it's a manly word. But like with all words and all ideas, if we don't understand them more and more deeply, we can actually not realize what they really are and pursue something that's not actually virtuous or not a virtue. So, for example, um, we can become over-moralized people. And actually, Pope Francis talks about the danger of this as, long as, as well as John Paul II. But... Life is not just a moral life, but there's another aspect to life. So it's not just the will, but it's the intellect, too. And so that's why I love the topic for today's podcast is intellectual virtue. This is the forgotten tradition of the classical world and also of our church and of our faith is that there's such a thing as intellectual virtue that is not all just moral virtue. And one of the beautiful things about being classical and in a classical education environment is that we exalt these intellectual virtues. We celebrate them and we pursue them so that our moral life can flow from them. Absolutely. Yeah. In many ways, we, well, one, we acknowledge, we acknowledge that there's kind of a primacy of intellectual virtue because in order to act morally, you have to first know the good and, and know what is true in order to choose what is both true and good for yourself or for others. So in many ways, the moral life is an outpouring of the contemplative life. Amen. And, you know, when we say it that way, I think it just makes sense to our Catholic souls. That makes sense because we know that contemplating God, prayer— Union with God in prayer is what this whole thing is all about. But what we might not realize is that the classical idea of education and of knowledge is basically the same idea. You know, for Aristotle, the, the end of all human activity was the contemplation of the first mover. So this, this idea of knowing God, knowing truth is a union with reality that is beautiful and profound. It's not just simply information. 
Yeah, and, and eternal. That, that union that comes from knowledge. And to be clear, I'm using the word in the classical sense, you can't actually know something that's not true. Yes. Then it would be knowledge, right? It would be mm -hmm. false opinion. Right. And so to know something, to have knowledge, is to have a unity with being, a unity with reality, and a unity with the, the very cause of being, God himself. And as Catholics, we rejoice in that because we recognize Christ is the way, is the truth, is the life. Yes, he is. And uh, so, Mr. Alvarado, the, the idea of virtue, let's kind of um, frame, before we get into intellectual virtue specifically, um, what, what is that classical notion of what virtue is and maybe what virtue is not? Can you get us on the right track? I will certainly try. And let's start with Socrates. So... We know about Socrates through the dialogues that Plato wrote. And certainly in, in ancient Greece, the word virtue was really, really important. And in Athens, at the time of Socrates and Plato, the word virtue was also very important, if only for politicians and statesmen, to signal that what they want is good by... Kind of like today. <laughs> uh, some would argue very similar to today. Um, and so in the dialogue, Plato's dialogue, the Mino, Socrates wrestles with, with Mino to uncover the nature of virtue. And I think in many ways, Plato is trying to say to the people of Athens, um, Athenians, uh, you keep using this word, but I, I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> <laughs> That's a wonderful accent for, for Socrates. Oh, merci beaucoup. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I guess fundamentally in that string from the Greeks and then St. Thomas Aquinas taking that and, and showing how the faith is in line with it. But, you know, a virtue is more or less a good quality of a person that whatever I'm talking about, it's disposed rightly to do what it's supposed to do. So if it's my intellect, if it's my will, if it's my emotions, it's all disposed to act in accord with its nature or in accord with how it ought to act. Indeed. And so, yeah, for, for Aristotle, Plato's student, we get this idea of virtue as the power in man to flourish, that power which disposes man to, to know what is true, uh, do what is good, and seek what is beautiful, and to become more and more unified. So we use those transcendentals a lot, uh, those, those terms, but those terms are about man's relationship to, to being, to God himself. And so virtue is what disposes right relationship to God. But for Aristotle as well, virtue would be found in the means between extremes. Mm -hmm. So, for example, we have the virtue of courage. And we would normally think that cowardice, yeah, cowardice is the vice that is opposed to courage. And so the soldier in battle that hides behind a rock because they're so afraid, then they're not virtuous. They're not going to be a good soldier. They're not going to be a good human being in that moment. But cowardice is not the only vice opposed to the virtue of courage. Recklessness is as well. And so for the soldier who gives no thought to, to command, no thought to his fellow soldiers, no thought to the outcome of what they're about to do, and just goes charging head first into glorious battle, they're also not courageous. They're reckless. 
And so for Aristotle, the virtue of courage and any virtue would be the means or the average between two extremes. So courage really is what balances uh, the two things that will lead us away from what is good, cowardice and recklessness. And in the Christian tradition, on top of that, recognizing that as true, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, who is the main source in the Catechism, who steals much of his vir- virtue ethics from Aristotle, um, mm-hmm. not steal, he uses, right? Well, you know, in, <laughs> in academia, it's not stealing if you cite your sources. That's right. But he places within that context the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity, right? That these are gifts from God, first of all, that perfect our powers. So whereas on our own, we could be pursuing virtue our whole life and maybe make some progress, in the end, Christian virtue is a gift from God through faith, hope, and charity that perfect. But then we, just like the Greeks and everyone else who doesn't have revelation, we are responsible to grow in virtue as best as we can, that we would direct our life as virtuously as possible but recognizing that that virtue of faith, hope, and charity is that gift of grace that comes into our life to perfect who we are. So we, we, you know, the young saints like St. Maria Goretti, who didn't have her whole life to grow in virtue, she achieved the perfection of virtue through grace, faith, hope, and charity, the perfection of her intellect and her will and her emotions. And so this is a beautiful Christian opportunity is that through Jesus Christ, the virtuous man who is Jesus is in our life, and we grow mm-hmm. with him, we learn from him, and we receive his life through grace. Right, and and we don't have to be f- afraid of our lack of virtue or the slowness with which we might be growing in virtue. Rather, we can have trust and patience. It, it's God at work that that is building in us virtue. But it's important to, to distinguish that we act virtuously not in order to become good. Rather, God makes us good. Yes. And virtue is the free response that we have. Love it. What's Le Bon V? And we're talking about intellectual virtue today. Deacon Adam Conk and Mr. Kyle Alvarado. So we're going to jump to a quote from John Paul II uh, related to intellectual virtue. Hit us with it, Mr. Alvarado. Well, like with freedom, um, we're going to be taking a quick look at Pope St. John Paul II's encyclical Fides Oratio. And so he writes, The truth of Christian revelation found in Jesus of Nazareth enables all men and women to embrace the mystery of their own life. As absolute truth, it summons human beings to be open to the transcendent, whilst respecting both their autonomy as creatures and their freedom. At this point, the relationship between freedom and truth is complete, and we understand the full meaning of the Lord's words. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So re-listen to that quote like a thousand times, and I want to invite you too to re-listen to the podcast from last week about freedom, because... I think that's the great context to understand intellectual virtue through this lens that he just brought up, is that my intellect is virtuous, if you think of it that way, like my intellect has virtue, when it easily clings to truth. And that truth is a person. It's Jesus Christ, right? So I have intellectual virtue when my mind is able to cling to Christ in an act of freedom um, easily. 
without hindrance, without difficulty. And that is what we mean by intellectual virtue. We cling to the truth easily by habit. Absolutely. And on top of that, that um, I think we sometimes have this fear that, or maybe not fear, some kind of anxiety, that if we become more and more intellectual, so to speak, and we figure everything out, then the world's going to become boring. But rather, we see Pope St. John Paul the Great saying, no, 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 truth rather enables you to better embrace mystery. And so he's inviting this notion of exercising reason before the mystery. And it doesn't dissolve the mystery into something intelligible, but rather allows us to enter into that mystery more and more fully. And it strengthens the bond of me and Christ through the intellect. And this is important, I think, for understanding intellectual virtue, but also the difference that we can make in our homes and in our school to be classical. This is one of the important differences, is that our idea of knowledge is not information dumping, right? So the intellect is not the ability to know, meaning it's the ability to hold information. That's not what we mean by the intellect. Rather, the intellect is that faculty that you and I have as rational people to unite spiritually to other beings. It's a power of union. The intellect is a power of union, where I, as a thinking person, as a knowing person, am now united to to reality by a concept, by a union with it that's intellectual and spiritual. This is the power of the Trinity, where the Father is united to the Son through an intellectual generation of a concept, of a word. His son, right? Yeah. This is the this is the power we're talking about that we have. And so the intellect is not just information, it's union. And the union with, we have with Jesus Christ is strengthened through the intellect. Even more, you could say, than other powers. And this is the, the argument uh, St. Thomas Aquinas makes, and others disagree, but whatever. But that <laughs> heaven is a union through the intellect. The beatific vision is primarily an intellectual union. It's not because God is a nerd and that we become nerdy in heaven. (laughs) That's the modern view of knowledge, right? Like, no, it's not that. It's that we are spiritual beings. What do you call spiritual union? Knowledge. That is spiritual union. Yeah, yeah. And it it shows kind of a deeper sense of of what the classical paradigm or or the, the classical approach is all about. You know... I like to think and say often to students that it's easy to find school boring because the original sin was a separation between knowledge and life. And I really believe in earnest that um, the great tradition that we have in classical education is trying to bring back together the intellectual and the moral as a unifying thing and not separate aspects of, of, of the way we, we express our humanity. We're, we're not things that can know stuff and then choose good things, but rather we're persons. And to be person means to be a substance that's in relation. And so our highest faculty has to be that which enhances our relation to others and, and, to, and to being and to the world. So this is Le Bon Vie, 
You're listening to a wonderful conversation with uh, Deacon Adam Conk and Mr. Kyle Alvarado on intellectual virtue. And I'm just loving this conversation because, you know, this is the classical difference. You know, we talk a lot about JPG. What is the classical difference? What does classical education mean? Intellectual virtue is lost in the modern world. We don't really acknowledge that it exists. In fact, we order all intellect towards practical ends towards technique, like we order our wisdom and our understanding, everything towards accomplishing a product or a thing. And um, th- yeah, but and I would add to that, that in, instead of wisdom, I think in its place is is pragmatism. Mm-hmm. So we don't want a home like that is the thing. We don't want a school like that. We want a, a home and a school where we are intellectually virtuous because we want union with God. We want union with the truth, with God who is that truth. So, so Deacon Conk, are you saying that we should have homes that are impractical? <laughs> no. What I'm saying is uh, we should order our homes such that the primacy of the truth, of the intellect, is recognized and pursued. And what do I mean by that? Well, there's some practical things. One, this is first and foremost an, uh, an idea about prayer. What is prayer? And how do we do it in, do this in the home? Well, if we're pursuing intellectual virtue in prayer, then we, we give our kids and ourselves enough space to ponder the truth, to ponder God as truth. And the most powerful gifts of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, understanding, knowledge, counsel, they are actions of God on our intellect in prayer. Yeah, that... that- that's an important point. Those four, four of the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit are oriented to the perfection of the intellect. Yes, and, and this is what God wants to do in us, in our home and in our schools and in our family, is he wants to move us in knowing him intellectually. God is not anti-intellectual, right? And so the classical home is one that is not an anti-intellectual home. First in our prayer, that we want to give, our, give our, ourselves and our kids time to ponder the Scripture, to read what the saints wrote, to read about them and discuss them intellectually. What, what does this mean to us? How do, how do we understand this? This is important. But then secondly, after prayer, is just is study. Study. Now, I would say the difference there is that prayer is a type of study. If you're reading Scriptures like Lexio Divina, if you're trying to understand, it's a study where God is invited to teach me directly. Right? Right. But what I mean by study is that I pick up a book of somebody who's my teacher other than God. Right? So, like, to let Aristotle be my teacher or um, Peter Kreeft or whoever you like reading. I was just naming people I like to read. But uh, to let other people teach me. But prayer is that, that privileged time where God is going to teach me, the Holy Spirit is going to teach me interiorly. Um, to be a home where study happens. And that's countercultural, I know. Yeah, that, that can seem a bit strange to say that <laughs> like family time will be study time. Yes. And it's not homework time. There's a difference. Now homework time can be study time, but there's a difference. If homework as a chore, as something we're having to do because we're supposed to turn in, but I'm talking about leisurely study. And that's important, right? For intellectual virtue. If it's true virtue, it's done in a leisurely environment. Yeah. Not, well, I guess that's one of those terms that, we might have to spend some more time another, another episode. Day. Yeah, leisure. Yeah, because yeah, leisure is not just free time. Rather, our 
let me not confuse because we talked about freedom. Yes. In, in a sense, yes, leisure, leisure is, is free. Leisure is is free time in the sense that you're spending time in in your freedom, um, but it's not like your lanyap time. It's not just right. the time you have left over from work to do, you know, to go sailing or to, I don't know, other leisurely activity. That you go is, sailing in your free time? That's awesome. No, I just think it depictions <laughs> some of, people. Some people. <laughs> like we think of, I don't know about anyone else, but when I think of um, like pop culture leisure, I'm thinking of, you know, people hanging out at the yacht club because they're wealthy and they're rich and they have all this, <laughs> all this available time to, you know, do what they want. But no, no, that's not what leisure is. Leisure is the very foundation of culture. Um, as Joseph Pieper writes in his book, Leisure, the Basis of Culture, um, we are not made for work. And most often, we kind of divide up our time as time for work and rest not from work, but also for work. And I think you're touching on the heart of, of the difference of intellectual virtue in the home and at school is that we, where the rubber meets the road is that if we're going to prioritize intellectual virtue as important and as guiding the rest of our life, we have to prioritize leisure over work or that we are not made to work. That is a, a succinct definition of prioritizing intellectual virtue over moral virtue is that we are made to ponder the truth and enjoy it before we're made to work. Yeah, yeah. Something I put before the seniors in the sacraments class is, um, like, if you spend all of your time just trying to do God's will, you're going to fail. And precisely for this reason, let's say my wife comes home and she starts telling me about her day. And my response is, oh, no, sweetheart, I don't want to know you. I just want to love you. Well, hopefully I would have invested in a good sofa because that's <laughs> where I'd be sleeping if I were lucky. But oftentimes we have the same response to God and to his revelation. You know, instead of taking time to cultivate our intellect to better know and apprehend the goodness and majesty of God, we just spend all our trying, our, our, we, we spend all our time just trying to do uh, what is moral, right? Mm -hmm. Emphasizing morality over contemplation. And we forget, you know, our Lord taught us, what is the will of the Father? That we believe in the one he sent. That's the will of the Father. So just like it's the will of the spouse just to be together, right? I want to be with you, that union of people. Yeah. Um, and it starts with, I want to know you. Well, knowledge is that union. It's the it's the primary human union we have with people. To but, know each other is to un be in one with each other. But if we don't ever take time, you know, to cultivate the intellectual virtues, we won't have the wonder that draws us to want to know. Exactly. There you go. I love it. And maybe we, uh, if you're listening, still listening, welcome. <laughs> it's <laughs> Le Bon V. But I'd love to kind of uh, transition into that domestic and also school application of wonder. This is so important as an intellectual virtue um, because, again, it's that classical difference, is that we want to study in a way that encourages and deepens the sense of wonder because wonder is necessary for, for uniting my person to the truth, who is God. My disposition before reality has to be one of wonder 
God, you are great and glorious, and the works you have done are so mighty and wonderful. Like all the prayers we read in the Psalms Mm -hmm. that are wonder prayers, if we're going to have that disposition interiorly, intellectual virtue and and specifically the sense of wonder before the truth is so essential in in our human life, but also our classical framework. Yeah, it's very much central. And I, I can give an example... In our astronomy class, we um, I could just pose the question to students, you know, why does the sun not rise in the same spot every day? I could just say that. But that question won't quite resonate as much as it does whenever the question is posed after allowing them to spend a couple weeks observing the sun. So before ever trying to, I don't know the right way to put this. So before trying to um, just stuff ourselves with the information, taking some time to observe so that when the question hits us, why does the sun move like this? There's wonder because that, that wonder, that, that desire to be unified with the order of the cosmos that's causing that first comes from beholding. And as parents and as teachers, we are guardians of that sense of wonder in our children. And if we want to have a a classical home for a classical school, we have to be encouraging the sense of wonder and not discouraging it. Because like you said, as a teacher, you can go about ways that are informational, but the goal is not just to have them know things, but to love things that are mm-hmm. true. And so to teach in such a way that encourages that sense of wonder is an intentional choice by all the faculty at John Paul the Great Academy. We're all encouraged to do that. That is a constant theme as we do faculty development and everything like that. But we don't often hear that in parent formation or marriage formation, but like this sense of that our children's sense of wonder is very important, and we need to encourage it and not discourage it by those activities in our home that would make them apathetic to the truth. Yeah. One of the worst things we can do when a, when a kid comes to us with a question, um, what, what plant is this? Maybe you're in the backyard, and they want to know what plant this is. Our temptation would be to snap a picture or to go on Google and to quickly find it out, as opposed to... Let's take some time. Well, we know these other plants in our yard. How does it compare? Or what strikes you about this plant that made you want to figure out what it is? There you go. Bingo. And that's the thing. If if we can encourage that in our kid, that they are they are made for intellectual virtue. We're all made for that. We're all made for virtue. God didn't create any of us for mediocrity or vice. Definitely not. We're all made for great virtue. And so to find those things that God has already done in our child's heart, where he's already put that desire for him, that wonder before him, and let them experience that in an environment of leisure and encourage it, that has much... What a gift to give our kid that they can continue to develop that intellectual virtue of curiosity and wonder not just to learn more information and to want to do their schoolwork, because there's going to be days, even when they're intellectually virtuous, that they don't want to do their schoolwork. That's going to happen. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. But what do we do as parents when that moment hits? Do we say, this is your job, just like I have a job, just stick to your job? That's not encouraging their intellectual virtue. Right. And that kind of goes back to this, this disordered notion we have that we can earn salvation by doing enough moral stuff. Do we say, look, sometimes life is hard and the cross is hard. Just bear your cross. It's not the worst thing we could say. But is that encouraging their intellectual virtue? No, no. So what could we say? Well, several things. I might, I might suggest this idea. Is it worth knowing this truth that you might have to suffer for it? Is knowing the truth worth suffering for? Something like this. What would you say? Well, I don't know. It might be a little too sneaky and Socratic, but <laughs> to uh, take, a, take a step back. All right, kid, what do you want? Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes you can, you can dive deep under that. What they, what they want is happiness. And if you just take the time to pull out of them, oftentimes they want happiness. They don't know what it is, and they don't know what they want. Well, and I think what both approaches have in common is this appeal to fall back in love with the truth as truth. But also to allow the child to wrestle with it through simple conversation, question and yep. answer, to have to develop that freedom to to engage. Well, I wish we could talk about this forever, but we can't. It's time to stop. Well, our goal is in heaven. <laughs> we will <laughs> contemplate this yes. forever. With our intellect. With our intellect. Full of virtue. Well, thanks for joining us for Le Bon Vie, and uh, we'll be back again with another episode soon. Until then, live the good life. Viva Le Bon Vie. Viva Le Bon Vie, chef.